Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Good morning. I'm going to start uh, John chapter, book seven, um, chapter seven, verse 53. Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? 
Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then would you do what Abraham did? As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you're unable to hear what I, what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry your, out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, day, and he saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Wow. Um... Uh, Jesus uh, can handle himself, huh? It's, uh, I, I, the Gospel of John was one of the first books that um, really made me fall in love with Jesus. So this has been, for, for me and my own faith, just a, uh, almost like a stroll down memory lane with a lot of new additions. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, when I was about 13, 14 years of age, uh, and I was really sensing in my life that that ministry was going to be my path, even though I would have rather played professional baseball. Um, and one of my pastors came up to me, and he's like, Ellis, listen, you really have to just dive into the Gospel of John. And I was in a, in a period of time where I had gotten hurt and was um, not able to actually play. And then I got into just reading the Gospel of John over and over and over again, uh, not sitting it down all in one setting. But I remember like from October through Christmas, I probably got through it three or four times and just remember just feeling this, this draw to, wow, Jesus. Every person that we were, are introduced to, like, I don't know if you've kept up in the reading, but these interactions with Jesus and people, 
whether the individual ones like Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the, the crippled man that was at the Pool of Shalom, or, or uh, you know, like, like even this week, the woman that's going to be thrown at Jesus' feet. It's like I keep getting drawn into the fact that God sees us. And Jesus' interactions with these individuals really moves me in my soul because I think about many of us, myself included, about moments where I just would love to be sitting with Jesus. And when you and I literally allow our minds to be reworked into the image of Christ, it really is um, a, a, a blessing. I feel like there's been moments where I felt like the Lord was really moving me and other times where I was being stubborn and like, no, I'm going to do it my way, but I knew that there was a different way to do it. Have you ever been there? Like we blame it on kids all the time. We, we, we look at children where you're like, you see them where they like, they, they make eye contact with you. Like, you know what I'm going to, like we see it every Sunday after church with the instruments on stage where kids are looking over their shoulder, looking at their parents, like how close can I get before I'm told no? You know, it's like, but we do the same things as adults. You know, what do you watch after 11 p.m.? You know, it's like, what are you doing when you are, uh, you know, by yourself? You know, it's like there's so many things about us that, some people know, other people don't know. But the thing is, is Jesus is there with us and he sees. And, and I'm, I'm amazed by that. But I need to go back to John 7 before I can jump into John 8 because I'm, I, I've got some really good friends in my life. And some of my friends are pastors. Other of them are, are in other occupations. And one particular pastor friend of mine was listening to the teaching from last week. And he's actually writing a book on, uh, on some of the subject matter that I talked about last Sunday. And I want to read to you briefly um, a little discourse that he and I had uh, regarding the phrase that I said, um, God never lets us down. So listen to what he says. He says, most people can't handle the thought anyway. So this is in light of some other discussion he and I had about God and disappointment and what, what seems like God does do and what he doesn't do. And he says this, God will never fail, but he certainly will let us down simply because he doesn't always do what we want or what we expect or what we pray. Often it's our unrealistic expectations, but sometimes it's just flat out his will. He goes, okay, I'm done. And then he goes on this and says, I love you, keep preaching. But then he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> Our letdowns, quotation mark, are momentary, yet real. In the end, no one will be let down. But he does all things well. In this life, and in the meantime, our journey with God requires inevitable letdowns. It's how we learn and how we grow. If, in fact, his ways are higher and beyond ours, the gap between his and ours will be littered with letdowns. It's called suffering, pain, and loss. Our problem is that our Christian culture can't stomach the idea of a God who, all, who, who always, to us, seems to let us down because of the difference between our expectations. So we keep the cliches going. He goes, okay, now I'm done. But here's the thing, church family. God's ways are higher in our ways. And in the English language, let alone other languages around the world, let alone first century languages, 
our words so often fall short to accurately describe fully the gap between perfect God and sinful humanity. But the thing that I love coming out of John chapter 7 is the fact that we're in John chapter 8 and next week we're in John chapter 9. Because we've had these interactions in, these gospel, in this gospel letter that John had to the first century church where he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. So he's parenthetical often where he gives details and then he gives disclaimers or adds extra points because he wants everybody to get the point of the story. And I love that. Every teacher in this space that's going to be stepping in front of students this week, or, or the, the desire is, is that everybody makes a connection. And so John's being an excellent teacher here. And what we find is, is that the people so far have been receiving the love of Jesus. But then at the end of the interaction, there's a, a statement that just stop your sinful ways. But next week, we're actually going to be finding an interaction where that's not the response of Jesus to somebody that he's healed. And so I want you to find out as we go through this that no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus knows your circumstances. He knows what it is that's in your heart, what it is that you've been dealing with, what it, what it was like to grow up in your home, in whatever continent you came from here to get into Baltimore. He knows where you live here. He knows what pressures, what voices have won out in your mind. He knows the voices that dominate his voice when you start thinking about your circumstances and all that. Like He is well aware, and he's proving that as we continue to read through all of this. But in John chapter 8, I believe that this is one of the most powerful moments that actually defines who God is. And some of you are like, well, I didn't pick up on that. I just like the banter between Jesus and the Pharisees or the story at the beginning. But if we take time this week and we read John 8 every day, I just want you to understand that the God that you believe in is going to be reshaped by this story of Jesus. Because all of us have things that I believe that we think about God that aren't true. We think that he acts a certain way or he might say a certain thing. And, that, and sometimes that is the case. Like sometimes we do know him. But there are times and circumstances and moments that bump up into our life where what we believe to be true about him is not true. And this is one of those moments where I think he takes that on. I think we need to focus on the fact that the beginning story of this woman caught in adultery, thrown at Jesus' feet, was not for the benefit of the woman. It was a trap set up to trip up Jesus. So just imagine the intentionality of these religious leaders knowing that they, they knew a woman that they could prey upon, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y, prey upon. Like, I don't know, like, did they follow her? Did they know that she may have been in an occupation, that they could follow her to a home or to a place? Like, look at the evil intent of the religious leaders, This has troubled my spirit this week because there are so many people like myself as pastors that have harmed people, trying to prove points, prove that they're smarter, manipulated to gain whatever. But in this place, they are taking a woman and using her to try to trip up Jesus. And I want you to understand, this was a barbaric 
situation. This is the temple mount of God. The holy, like, it would be like as if somebody right now in this space, which this is a really decent room. It's like a, like a, I don't know, a, what would you call it? Like a party room at a pub. Like, this is, this has got a dance floor underneath of our stage. I mean, it's just, this is an environment where you kind of feel, but when we come together for church, there's a sacredness to this space. Could you imagine what it would be like if somebody intentionally went out there, grabbed a woman caught in adultery, did not give her the chance to get dressed, and brought her in here and threw her in front of the stage and said, what are you guys going to do with her? This is the temple mount of Yahweh in the Jewish culture. The holy of holies is feet away. The altars that were a part of the Sukkot festival we talked about last week was close by. Jesus is in proximity to where they collect the offerings. All of this stuff, they bring a woman in and throw her down at Jesus' feet. And then they drop Moses on Jesus. Moses says, when a woman's caught in an adultery, you are to stone her. What do you say? So they're taking a scripture from their holy Torah and holding it up to Jesus without any concern for the woman. It's totally designed to trip Jesus up, but yet this poor woman. This is a real person that's lying there in front of him. So, Which made me think, this is a total side distraction, and I'm sorry. But have you ever encountered a Christian that has a verse like, it's their verse to beat you up with it. Like, there's a lot of other verses in Scripture, but they have their go-to. It says a lot about a person which verses they weaponize. It says a lot about the, the heart inside of us in our Christianity, where there's certain passages that we'll go to, but yet there are other passages that might tell a slightly different story or, or potentially um, take a moment where it's, sharing something in one part of history, and then we step back and we're like, wait a minute, this just doesn't fit with Jesus. And here these religious leaders are taking something that Moses had said and was literally trying to use it to trip Jesus up. Now, this is one of the things that Jesus never wrote anything down. Most people that have had an impact on all of human history were writers, most of the people that had an impact on all of human history, they can go back and you can look at things. But this is the only time in all of Scripture that it says that Jesus wrote anything down. So imagine the John chapter 1, the voice that spoke creation into existence, the, the one that worked in conjunction with the Holy Spirit with people like Moses to write down chunks of scripture that were in the Jewish holy book that are part of our Bible is now somehow getting down in the ground on the temple mount like this isn't Jesus on a stage this is him in a flat courtyard where people are looking over shoulders to see what Jesus is doing this isn't a moment where Jesus says okay hold on a minute and he raises the floor up underneath of him so that it's like, you, have you ever been to a traditional like Episcopal church where they have the, the scripture reading, <coughs> excuse me, like the elevated place where the Bible's read from? No, this is Jesus being mobbed by a crowd of religious leaders. His disciples are somewhere in earshot, 
observing what's going on, as well as the other crowd that had remained after the last day of the festival. So the crowd's thinning out, but there's still people around. And Jesus doesn't panic. All he does is get down. And did he start with a line? Like, it doesn't give any clue to the things that he's saying, but I do want to say this. This passage shows us something powerful about who God is. In John 8, 5, the religious leaders say to him, now what do you say? I believe we've all done that. I believe we all have had some moments with Jesus where we've looked him in the face, shared something with him passionately, and said, what do you now say? But here's the thing. I think when we do that, we're often surprised by what God says back. I don't believe that these religious leaders had any idea that Jesus was going to handle this situation the way that he did. And by the way, if the woman was caught in adultery, where was the man? All right, can I, just, can I just stop here just for a minute? Some of you are like, finally, is this pastor ever going to get there? Right? Okay, so here, like, let, let me go one step deeper than you ladies that were about ready to pick up stones to stone me. Is she probably wasn't the married one. The mar- like, most likely the guy was the one that was married, so he was the one that was guilty of adultery. She most likely wasn't married. Now, mind you, it was a sinful act, any type of extramarital encounter like that. But she's not even guilty, really, of the crime she's being accused of. The, where's the dude? And so they say to Jesus, what do you say? How many times have religious leaders pretended that they were the mouthpiece of God? Yeah. So these religious leaders actually are super confident that they're representing Yahweh, the king of the God of Israel. I was reading on Facebook this week. There's a student that Ginger and I had when I saw this making me emotional. I wasn't expecting that this morning. There's a young lady. That's that's the curse of Facebook, by the way. Is you can keep in touch with people you haven't seen in 20 years. Then you run into them in an airport and they act like they know you. <laughs> oh, I've been following you on Facebook, right? Um, but this young lady um, doesn't walk with Jesus anymore. And she was reposting a friend of hers words. And almost the entire indictment was things that she has been told by religious people. Um, And no room for the real God. And doesn't have a fear at all of standing before God someday because, because of the church and the religious leaders that she's interacted with, she's she's willing to say, I'm going to roll the dice. And she actually ended her rant by saying, or actually it wasn't really a rant, it was really her sharing her heart. A rant is very disrespectful of what she was doing. She was sharing her heart. And in sharing her heart at the very end, she says, when I get to Jesus and he says to me, um, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, do I even know you? She's going to be like, I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. Like, like she was, this, this idea that if, if, the, if what I've experienced about you, I don't really want to spend eternity with you either. That was really the phrasing. And we have got to take seriously our responsibility. I'm not just talking to me. Like, you talk to people about Jesus too. Like, I get to do it often. I'm going to give an account. But we all are responsible to be ministers of love and light into people's lives. And, but this moment with these religious leaders and this poor woman that's being shamed in front of everybody is a moment where if God was a condemning and judgmental God, this is the perfect opportunity for God to show it. If you truly believe that God is literally waiting to zap people with judgment, then why did it not happen here? Like a lot of us really do struggle with like, well, like God, God hates sin. Well, if he does, then this woman was obviously caught in it. So what, where is, where is, where's her immediate judgment? Like where is that falling on her? Have you ever wanted to catch somebody doing something wrong? Can I tell you, my wife is laughing. If I have a character flaw, if I do, if I do, I do not fight fair or loving. And if Andre was here, he'd be like, Pastor, step lightly. Like, I miss him. Like, Andre, if you're watching online, man, type it to me. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> I really could. But I, 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 this, is, this is a great example. You know, so when one of the moments comes around, where an imperfection of mine shows, and I'm in the light, and Ginger's talking to me about it. Yeah, thank, thank God for the sneeze. Um, my nature is to turn the light to maybe one of her imperfections. Right? Any of you like that? Some of you, some of you are like, I'm sitting with a spouse, I can't shake my head. You have no idea, right? <laughs> but it's in our human nature, and that's why I want you to see that these religious leaders really aren't that much different than us, because when the light's shining on us, which is what Jesus has been doing to them now for multiple days, they are now looking to take the light off of them and put it onto somebody else. And in the process of doing that, we do great harm. We become aggressive when the light's on us, in many occasions. Um, when our mistakes are what's being talked about, it's very uncomfortable. Now, I'll remind you, this woman is most likely naked at the feet of Jesus, surrounded by a crowd of men. And I can't imagine what she was feeling. And these religious leaders were intent on her execution in front of Jesus with whatever type of interaction they were going to have with him. But I'm going to say, guys, like when you find yourself at the feet of Jesus, you're going to be very surprised by what he says. He's never going to say to you, you'll never live up to the life I created you to have. He'll never say that to you. 
He'll never say, oh, you're never going to get over this. He'll never say to you, you don't have value. He'll never say to you, your life is a mistake. That's what we say to each other. That's what we say when the light's on us and we want to get the light on somebody else. God doesn't say that kind of stuff about us. God has a hopeful future for us. He's got opportunities for us to grow. He's got opportunities for us to shed things like a snake can get a new skin. Like we can just let this old go away and something new can come forward. But the problem is in our humanity, we never want that to happen to each other. That's why we have people we can't forgive. We have people in our life that we just want to say, look, I don't care about forgiveness, but this one person deserves a stoning. And so often in our lives, we find ourselves in situations where there's always an exception to the way that we tell other people how you should live your life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not finding anybody that there's an exception. He's saying that it's the world that wants to condemn you. It's the world that wants to hurl insults at you. But God is saying something very different to us. God is most likely not who we think he is. He's definitely not like who many of our friends and people we work with think he is. And they need to be told about a new Jesus. But back to John chapter 8. They were using scripture to trap Jesus. And he was the one that wrote them. He's the one that inspired them. They didn't understand God's intention. We did a series a couple years ago. Actually, it was leading into the pandemic where we were talking about the violence in the Old Testament. And it's so easy for us to miss the intention of God by the bloodshed that was shed and how much of it wasn't what God was asking. But yet they were holding on to it like this is what they needed to do. John 8, 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. They had no idea how powerful and strong it was, but obviously whatever Jesus was writing down on the ground was Scripture. Because I don't care if he was listing their names, if he was listing their names and the sins that they had committed, because he's saying to them, those of you without, without sin, throw the first stone. Like, is he sitting there saying, Rabbi, whatever, and Rabbi, whatever, and then writing down the women that they'd been with or the mistakes that they'd made? Like, or was he just going back to other Scriptures? Um, that were forgiving scriptures or hopeful scriptures using Moses' words back against them. I mean, was Jesus writing super fast so he could get a lot done? Was he just writing slowly and with intention? All I know is that whatever he wrote changed the entire temple courtyard. There was a power in which, mind you, I think a lot of people think Jesus never did a push-up. But it ha like, why is John saying that he stood up or that he was posturing himself? Like there's this pattern of Jesus, like, like I don't know. Like, was, I think when Jesus got up off the ground, there was this like moment of just sheer power and wonder of God on display in the fact that you cannot come up against this. I'm not saying that Jesus made himself larger like as if he was some Autobot and he was transforming into a, a, a larger-than-life human being. But I think that we underestimate the fact that the power of God was on display in Jesus Christ. The true power and the authority and the wonder and the love of God was on display in Jesus Christ. In John 8, 7 through 11, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. And said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw stones. 
They wanted him to say something. He didn't say it. And then it goes on to say that they were beginning to walk away. And they started walking away in a particular order. But before I talk about that, let me say this to you. God sees all of our brokenness. He sees all of our flaws. He knows all of our imperfections. He knows all the stuff that you think is hidden. And he still longs to have a relationship with you. God is the infinite source of love and compassion and of forgiveness. And if you and I let him, he will silence your accusers. Let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. I love the fact that Jesus created a filter. So they came with an accusation, and Jesus is like, okay. If you guys can pass through this, go at it. Start. But then it talks about the oldest to the youngest, but the woman was still standing there. The oldest to the youngest started to walk away. And I love that because in the Jewish culture, the people that lived the longest got the most honor, especially in the rabbi world. They would have been the ones that truly represented God the highest. They would have been the ones that had lived long enough to really have weighed their sins. Have you ever noticed some of you that have lived from one decade to the next, 20s to 30s, 30s to 40s? Not many of you have gone from 40s into 50s, a couple of us, praise God. But the older you get, sometimes you're a little bit less quick to pick up a stone, aren't you? Like in middle school, we're scrappy. Like words, your mama jokes, things like that. High school, a little bit, whatever. College. But as you get become an adult, you, you find that you're, you have a little bit more restraint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we need to find ourselves to the point where in this culture of honor... The oldest ones were like, look, you know, I got to concede this. I can't throw this right now. But the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up again. Imagine, she's still there. Jesus straightened up and he says to her, woman, why, uh, where are they? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Uh, Mind you, had she been condemned, she would have been getting pelted with stones, right? Right? So obviously there's no stones. Nobody's hit her with a stone. And her response is, no, sir. Nobody's condemned me. I think some of you are here today because you need to let Jesus silence all of your accusers. Some of you, you've got a past. It may have been as recent as yesterday or this morning. It could be years ago. And you have got this accusing voice on top of you. And you need to allow the, 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 the power of Christ to silence all those voices. Because people have been using them to manipulate you, control you, whatever it is in your life. And it is the day that you need to say, or listen to Jesus say to you, where are they? Where are those accusers in your life? Because then he goes on to say, neither do I contemn you. Jesus declared, go now and live your life, leave your life of sin. God looks past our shame. God looks past the fact that none of the disciples offered the woman a coat. You notice, like John gives a lot of detail, but none of the disciples here seem to come to the woman's defense because everybody's walked away, but yet the woman, like if I was in a moment 
of potential nakedness in front of people and I had the opportunity to get out, I think I would have gone. But she stayed with Jesus because even in her nakedness, she felt comfortable with him. Can I just tell you this? You can be totally exposed to Jesus and you're going to be okay. You can be totally exposed and you're going to feel safe. You can be totally exposed and you're going to feel his love. There's nothing that his heart towards you in any way is evil or broken or condemning. He wants to make you well. So maybe the shock for you is that he loves you. Maybe the shock is that I need to stop blaming church leaders and realize that Jesus is the one that I'm going to stand in front of. And I need to silence all these accusing voices, all of these bad voices that have been chirping in my ear because nobody can condemn you because Jesus has defended you. And so that's why we get to the end of the story where Jesus is the only voice that mattered to this woman. Jesus has got to get to the point in our lives where his voice is the only one that matters to us. Some of you need to let go of your parents' voice. Some of you need to let go of some teacher's voice or somebody else in your life that you're wanting affirmation from. You need to let that go and let Jesus' voice be the voice that's over your life. Jesus declared to her, "Now go now and leave your life of sin. Much like the man that rolled up his mat. Just because God heals you doesn't mean he wants you to go right back into the same patterns of your life. We have a pattern-breaking problem. But Jesus can help us break the patterns. We don't need to continually be healed from the same things over and over again. Because our choices, you and I have choices that we get to make every day because of the way God made us. The freedoms of our choices. And we've got to become responsible with those choices. So we've got to just start out just flat out saying, I am not going to keep sinning because this pattern in my life is destroying me and it's destroying other people around me. We've got to get to the point where we are not allowing our choices to destroy our life. But we also have to get to the point where we are refusing to allow our worst moments to cripple us. We've got to take that back by standing in the presence of God and saying, Jesus, thank you. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he knew what our problem was. He knew our problem. Like all along, God has seen that sin is what's keeping us from him. It was what was keeping that woman in a place of shame on the ground in front of him. But he's like, look, I know you. I know what I've come to do for you. And I'm about ready to take care of this sin problem that we have. And I'm going to defeat it so that you can stand without being condemned. And that's what Jesus has done. He came to birth something new. He came to bring an end to the power that sin had over us, the power that the shame of sin has over us. And he, brought, he came to bring her life, and she found it that day. So today, I want to ask some of you, I know most of you in the room, but I don't know all of you. I just want to say, have you given Jesus your life? Have you had a moment where you felt like it was you and him, and he was just the light into your darkness that you needed? Have you felt where Jesus embraced you and said, look, I don't care what you've been told, you have value to me. And I love you and I've done something for you. Jesus went to the cross to endure all this pain so that you and I could have all of the shackles of the accuser's voices broken. 
and we could understand his amazing love for us. Jesus, according to John 1, created us with good intention. Sin is taking away that good intention, and he wants to reestablish us in his intention. So if you've never given Jesus your life, it is as simple as a prayer of saying, Jesus, I give you my life. You died so I could live. So Jesus, I give you my life. And I pray that to some of you, that's what you hear. Or if you forward this video on to somebody, I hope that's what they hear. And if that's you, you need to let us know. We have people that are here to pray with you. You'll find them near the Lord's table. You have, you have moments you could email us or reach out and let us know that you've prayed these prayers or that you've given your life to Jesus. But today, I think the majority of, of us in here, you have an accusing voice that you know needs to be silenced. And you need to let that go. Because Jesus has life he wants you to live, and he wants you to walk in that newness. So if you're sinning, stop. If it's just others that are dominating you, silence them. And let Jesus say, I don't condemn you, so go, live. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that we would find ourselves standing with Jesus, with him now, and I ask that in the name of Jesus, that uh, no matter what has happened in our life, whether through our choices or other people's choices, that anything that is speaking over us, something that is not true, would just be stopped today. No more power over us. We, we are asking for it to be released. Father, I pray that we hear the loving affirmation of Jesus. Father, I pray that we too can realize that our sin had a cost. But Jesus loved us so much that he paid it. Father, I can't even begin to fathom that great love, but I pray that the power of your spirit would continue to breathe that into life in all of us. Thank you for loving us that well. Thank you for the way you defended this woman, but I also thank you for the day that you're going to defend me. Father, I thank you for the way that you defend us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching, and may God's grace and peace be with you.